Coming up on Telling the Odds' first episode for 2021, we talk about Darth Maul's possible return to Star Wars, we talk about Gina Carano being fired from The Mandalorian, and in honour of his 89th birthday, we break down John Williams' top five favourite scores. What time is it, 3 It is time for Telling the Odds. Welcome back to another year of Telling the Odds. I am so excited to have uh, you all Hell back. Yeah. And more importantly than that, excited to have my co-host back, Jack Dunn. Hell yeah. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, the 14th of February. Oh, yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Uh, yeah, so February 14th, where we are. Yeah. Uh, depend whether or not you're listening internationally. Maybe you haven't reached that day yet. Hopefully, you're all having a, uh, uh, a nice day, nice romantic day. I don't know where I'm going with this valentine's day tangent but as there you much go. as one can possibly have in a in a uh, global pandemic but you know enough of that exactly oh yes that's another Star thing Wars. we've been gone for like two months three months three we months have, wow we yeah. have yeah what's been going on um yes I, I hope everyone is uh doing well coping well in uh the world's ever-changing landscape hope you're hanging in there and everyone is safe and healthy um, and for those who aren't, we are uh, sending our thoughts to you. Uh, but yes, Michael, there is a lot of Star Wars news uh, to talk about, especially while we were away. A lot of stuff has happened, um, and we've got a pretty good show for you guys today. And uh, there were two very mm. uh, cool pieces of news. One that was uh, that would inspire a lot of conversation, and another that would inspire a lot of conversation that we are very um, uh, <laughs> looking forward to getting into, because I think it will create a good discussion. Yeah, plus uh, an awesome, fun uh, uh, main topic. And uh, so, you know what? Let's just get right into it with our first little piece of news for the day. And so our first piece of news this week is actually uh, the possible return of Darth Maul in live action. So this news comes from uh, I Am Ray Park uh, Instagram, in which he posted, uh, about a day ago from when we are recording this, um, Meet Me on Dathomir, Sith Life... Uh, with a pi- uh, picture of a um, prosthetic uh, mall head. Yeah. So it's it's very clearly yes, in like a um, makeup room of some kind. It is. Yes. So look, it's it's kind of vague. It's very unclear what this currently means. Um, it also like we're not currently right sure what this could be referencing. Like, I mean, it could always just be for like some personal thing that Ray Park is doing, just like a mall cosplay. But I think that's unlikely, especially considering no real cosplay events or anything is on right now. So I think this is a very, like, it's like a very not subtle way of saying, hey, guess who's coming back as Maul? And, like, for one, very exciting. I think Ray Park does an outstanding job as portraying Maul in the live-action screen. The two, the, the two small, one small appearance and one bigger appearance we've had with him. Yeah, I mean, like, he only worked with uh, Lucasfilm as Darth Maul, uh, you know, only very recently because he did the motion capture for Ahsoka and Maul's fight in Season 7, which, I mean, we exactly. all saw how oh, yeah. amazing that turned out. Um, Even more and than, yeah, it, so that's... Exactly, yeah. and uh, look, it, like we said, it seems to be in a makeup chair, so it's. I'm not sure if this is, like, something that's happening currently. We'd like to think it is because that's what all the internet uproars has started um, about in regards to this post, but... 
Um, I gotta say, I'd be so open to seeing more Maul because uh, obviously we had him in Phantom Menace, but Clone Wars just turned him into su- uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, I should say, just turned him into so mm. much more of a, a layered character, and how really none of the stuff that happened to him was done by choice. Like all these choices were made for him, and he's the product of all of the the um, the the evil on the part of the Sith and Palpatine and that sort of thing. Um, as far as where it would sort of happen and stuff like that. We were talking about this just before we went on, Michael, is that there, when you think about it, there is like a, a good chunk of more story that has been left untold, you know, um, you know, with uh, season seven wrapping up in Clone Wars when he escapes in that shuttle, the next time you see him, at least properly, is uh, on Malachor in Rebels when he's like this old withered guy who's just pretending so he can, you know, sort of get away. Um, other than the small transmission and hologram that we see of him in solo. So, um, yeah, there's a whole part of that story that I'd be open to seeing because we haven't seen it. Yeah, definitely. I still, I think for sure that there's so much, still so much room we can explore with this character. And I mean, they were already building on planning on doing that when they, with the, when they like briefly cameoed him in solo, like kind of very strongly implying if they were to get solo sequels, he would be a major antagonist and that never happened. So, um, I'm trying to, I've been like thinking about where we could see this character. And so an obvious one I would think would be uh, if we saw the continuation of his solo A Star Wars Story arc or the, where they plan to take that character, but just in one of the television yeah. shows that they didn't bring up. So um, maybe Cassian Andor, that's, no, wait, that's set a bit earlier. I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, they maybe, really planned out like a good uh, time. What were the other, other shows they had? Uh, well, um... You know, maybe he could show up in the Lando series. I, I don't think... know. I mean, like, you know, because, uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, the thing is, true. is that we actually talked about this the first time we had Trey on is that one of the like, you know, awesome original stories we'd, I'd love to see is like my thing with new Star Wars movies is, and it sort of echoes what George Lucas and Dave Filoni have always said about Star Wars, that anything can be a Star Wars story as long as there are, you know, good characters, good characters that you can connect with and something that I would love to see. And, you know, we were mm. talking about Star Wars stories we want to see when Trey was on. And I think one of the ones that I said is that if we were to see more of Maul's, you know, um, journey through this crime boss world that he became so inundated in around the time that we haven't seen of him, you know, if we got good fellas in Star Wars, like a real mobster movie with Maul, you know, taking control and, you know, that sort of thing, I would mm. love to see that. And I feel like the gap of time that is absent in Maul's um, sort of timeline uh, is a great place for something like that to happen. Because like you said, there were plans to make him an antagonist in that sort of solo storyline because solo originally was going to have sequels. Uh, I think they mentioned that it was going to be a trilogy, but after it made money, those after it didn't make any money, um, a lot of those plans were presumably scrapped. But if they were going to still, you know, see where that could go, obviously there is a story to tell there because, you know, at the end of solo, uh, Maul is telling uh, Kira, Amelia Clark's Kira, to come and meet him on Dathomir, and Dathomir is mentioned yep. in this comment by um, by Ray Park. So you know, it, it, it seems is. like just yeah, that's uh, true. It, it yes, seems yes. like just you know, meet me on Dathomir. Easy pickings to so that's, yeah, that, mm. exactly. So that could be uh, so, a very easy, like very, not easy, a very um, obvious like setup and reference to that exact quote that he said in the movie. So I yeah, I think that's an obvious, a very uh, sure. very good. Yeah, yeah observation there absolutely um yeah and uh i mean we you mentioned ray park at the start of the discussion ray park is just awesome like i've obviously neither of us have have met him but if you watch him in like videos he shows up to comic-con and stuff like that he seems like the coolest dude in the world so 
just to see him get work was mm. it w- w- would be would be awesome and uh whether or not they would bring sam Witwer back to voice maul i mean i'm always open for more of that because sam Witwer is a voicing i, I feel god. like that's um pretty likely yeah after yeah. after solo they made it pretty clear that like sam Witwer is the maul voice going forward regardless of medium as much as it sucks with peter seraphin which uh yeah, that's yeah. just that's just no. I, I do feel bad for that sort of thing because he actually full on thought that he that his voice was going to be in solo, and they replaced it with and with, they with, with him so... to do it, and they replaced him. Oh, it's rough. But we have we have spoken about this before. Um, yeah. One thing I did want to say is also, I mean, I feel like it's 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 pretty likely they're probably going for the crime era mall and all that, but it is mm-hmm. always possible. I thought that. One thing where I could be in the Kenobi show, and I know you were saying earlier to me that it is set uh, ten years before A New Hope, whereas um, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Maul and Kenobi meet on on A New Hope, uh, sorry, on Tatooine, two years before. But I was thinking a really interesting way to end the show could possibly be a recreation of the Maul versus Kenobi fight that we see in Rebels, done in live yes. action. That could be really cool. That would be. It's probably awesome. less likely to happen, but you know. It it could always happen, especially if the if it's more of a contained miniseries that that ends like uh, definitively um, in the final episode or so. Yeah, no, it, no, it's it's absolutely an interesting point. You know, I've seen fan art of um, you know, that fight, but they've you know basically used the likeness of Ray Park and Alec Guinness, and it's just so cool. Mm. Or, or in this case, you know, if it were to show up in the Kenobi series, it would be Ewan McGregor and and Ray Park. It'd, it'd and definitely the idea be of Ewan seeing... McGregor made to look like Alec Guinness, though I think, because yeah. that's the thing. It's and, like um... two years in before A New Hope, he might mm-hmm. not look enough convincing. Whereas definitely with ten years, I feel like they can get away with it. So that might be another reason why they might not do it. But you know, mm-hmm. it's fun to it's fun to hope. Yeah. yeah, I've seen Ewan McGregor's face like deep faked onto Alec Guinness's persona from A New Hope, and it's like, it's weird, but you know they are the same character, so it's 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 kind of weird to think about in that way. But look, I would just love to see Ewan McGregor and Ray Park back on screen together because I, that last bit of the fight in Phantom Menace is just pure um, evidence that they are just movie magic when they're together. So. Um, that would be awesome, man. I mm. bet they'd both be down for it because doesn't matter what it is, it seems as though Ray Park is open to anything more related. Especially since, you know, you see his Instagram, which is where we're getting this post from, like half of it is just Darth Maul. Like, I love to see actors, you know, in this, you know, people yeah. who, who have jobs like Let's this. Embrace and you look, I love it. Exactly. And you look at their social media presence or anything that they do, and they are always just, like, so inundated with the character that you can tell that they love being it just as much as we love them at, at like, you know, as that character, like Daniel Logan as Boba Fett, for instance, look at his Instagram. Every second image is him as Boba Fett. And that, that's what I love. And, um, yeah. So yeah, guys, I I just searched up the, uh, I just said, I just, I just searched up the uh, Ewan McGregor deep fake as, uh, This is so cool. Like it is. It's actually like a legitimately like interesting look at what what Ewan McGregor would look like if he was the same age as Alec Guinness playing yeah. Alec like playing Obi Wan like that's so cool. It's actually pretty well uh, done. But yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm, I, I cut you off. I'm completely aware of what of what mm. channel you're looking at there. They've actually done some pretty cool deep fakes. They did Harrison Ford onto Alden Ehrenreich's face in Solo, and it's actually pretty well oh, executed that one, as well. That one was probably the best deep fake I've ever seen. That was the one that legitimately made me feel like, oh, okay, the performance wasn't that bad because seeing Harrison Ford do it, it felt like a Han Solo performance. It just yeah. kind of felt off without being Han so- without being Harrison Ford, I think. 
Exactly. I always feel like Alden Ehrenreich gets too much flack for Solo. I feel like he did a great job. Yeah. Um, he wasn't the problem with, like, no, not that there's major problems with that film. It's not the worst Star Wars film. But, like, out no. of the issues we did have, he wasn't the problem with it, I don't think. No, not at all. Uh, so, yeah, that's that, guys. Um, so, that is the mole conversation. And as you can see, we it, as most of our conversations do, it, it ended up in some very fun tangents that are just fun to think about. But here we are. That's telling <laughs> the odds. Cool. I hope you're in the, <laughs> that's, what, that's what you come here for. That's what we yeah. uh, record yeah. for. So, uh, that is we one new story done and dusted. Uh, now, mm. we're going to get on to uh, the second new story for the week, with, which is quite a lot bigger and is going to allow us to really um, delve into the, the, the topic itself. And that yes. discussion revolves entirely around Gina Carano. Uh, Gina Carano, obviously known for playing uh, the rebel drop trooper Cara Dune in the past two seasons of The Mandalorian. Uh, and this week, she was fired. She was fired by Lucasfilm. Um, uh, I think so. So we should be we should be specific here. I believe Lucasfilm's exact word was Gina Carano is is not currently employed by Lucasfilm, and they do not have correct. plans to employ her in the future. So she wasn't currently fired from doing something at this current moment. But it is clear that they're planning to not hire her in the future. Yes, thank you very much for clarifying that, Michael. Thank you. Uh, yes, and um, yes, so Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm and will not be in the future. And that is all about, you know, the, uh, as th this is, you know, again, their quote, um, abhorrent and unacceptable social media presence on her part. Um, hmm. based on uh, posts that she has been making and, you know, uh, opinions that she has been yes. making for a good long while now. It's actually been something that's been, you know, it's, just percolating on the internet I for remember a long time. And, um, it's been happening pretty... Well, there's been controversy about it since um, before season two, um, but it kind yes, of really definitely. ramped up around December, November, December. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I think... I, I was saying to you earlier, I believe that there are, like... So to get a full complete once discussion, I believe we should break this down into three separate categories and each have their own discussions about it. So the first one is as a Star Wars podcast, we should definitely um, as have a discussion about what this means for the show and what the character no longer being there means and what mm -hmm. we think as Star Wars fans in the context of the Star Wars universe. I think as a Star Wars okay. podcast, that's what we should have. But I think Good as idea. a general com conversation about the Star Wars community and and the people who make star wars we should also have a discussion about the social media and the firing and all that and so i would think we should talk about that in two ways one the lucasfilm side about why they had why they made this decision similar precedents and generally what's going on there but also i think we should fully at the end talk about what she actually discussed in her social media and personally why i do not believe she was should have done this and that there is justification towards this departing of ways, firing, whatever it's called. So, yeah. Well, that's good. That's a that's a, a very good way to look at it, Michael. This is why I do a podcast with you. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, all right. Well, in that case, I'll get the ball rolling with that first part of the conversation in terms yes. of looking at this through uh, the context of the show and Star Wars as a media itself. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, basically what this means is that the character of Cara Dune will obviously not be returning. And um, mm. though she was a cool character in the first two seasons, there's nothing about what the Mandalorian is as a show that needs her to be there. So like, it's, it's a, it's mm. a good thing that out of all of the, you know, people that 
will no longer be in the show. It was someone like uh, this actress and this character because they are not integral to the story, especially because in no. season three, right? Um, in season three, what it seems as though we'll be doing as far as, you know, the impression that sees the finale of season two gave us is that we're going to be focusing a lot more on the idea of Mandalore, the planet of Mandalore, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the throne and the sort of like curse that has been laid upon it. You know, the, this thing mm. that, you know, Boba Fett mentioned it, Bo-Katan, even Mando mentioned it, that, you know, anyone who goes there dies. Like, you know, it's a really interesting thing that I'm excited for them to, to, um, to explore because we we know nothing about uh, Mandalore and the city of Sundari and all that stuff around the time of post-Return of the Jedi. And especially now yeah. that Din Djarin is the rightful owner of the Darksaber and, how, and what implications that has for um, a possible rivalry with Bo-Katan, we're getting into all this other stuff that's going to be focused on these characters. And having... Cara Dune there, it's nothing that would be, um, you know, nothing that would be against, but also it doesn't seem incredibly essential. Like the show, at least the way in which they're going to approach it from now on, it doesn't seem like it's going to fall apart because she's not there. No, I, I, I definitely agree. I think, um, her two major appearances, one in the first season as, as single episode and then returning for the finale and then season two, um, again a single episode and then returning returning for like the finale her her importance to the show was like she was a main character she was uh, an ally to Jinjarin and definitely contributed well when she was there in scenes in fact i like we were big fans of her like especially when she came in like with the big like shooty thing uh, the shooty thing the big blaster in the in the final episode of season two like that, there were some really cool scenes with her but again you're saying not integral to what we think the direction of the show is going as to more Mandalore centric. Um, I also do believe that they were starting to set up some arcs specifically related to her um, loss of Mandalore. I mean, the the hilarious line of, uh, of did you lose anyone on Mandalore? It's just like, I lost everyone? What are you talking about? Um, they, yeah, it seemed duh, like they were kind of setting up something, something there, like a backstory of some sort, but That's I guess true. we won't um, learn about that now. I mean, it's not impossible for them to, like, bring back the character in other forms without bringing back Gina Carano and, say, a book or a comic That's or something. True. I don't yeah, know if Lucasfilm would do that, though. I have a feeling they'd probably want to try and distance themselves with this character. So it could be it could be unlikely. Who knows? Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, you're right. You know, sense, but... you're right. You know, recasting is not an impossibility. But, you know, I, I actually feel like you're right, is that in an instance like this, they would not only want to focus on the characters that they do have, but maybe do start to distance themselves from anything related to all this that is now happening. Um, the only, you know, uh, not even big mm. thing, but, like, you know, something that I uh, had seen is the possibility that Cara Dune would be a, um, a possibly returning character. Yeah in the Rangers of the New Republic series that we're going to be getting soon. Um, obviously, yeah, there so was no believe, confirmation. I believe that there... Oh, do you want to go? No, you go. Yeah. There was no confirmation of that, but given all the stuff that she'd become a marshal of the New Republic and that scene that she had with... Uh, what was the X-Wing guy's name? Carson? Carson Taver, who was... Uh, um, um, wingmate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, there was an idea <laughs> that she would possibly be showing up in that context. 
obviously that won't be happening now. But again, I'm not, yeah. you know, um, it, it's it's not like, you know, a, a very bad thing because uh, when we get new shows, I want to see new characters. You know, the, the idea that we are getting an entirely new show means that we're going to get an entirely new set of characters and a different corner of the Star Wars universe will be explored, um, which is which is a great thing because the best part of the first season of The Mandalorian was um, Kuil and Grief Cargo and all these people we'd never met mm. before um, and how awesome and uh, how, how awesome of a character Kuil became in so little time and IG-11, yep. you know, all these characters that we'd never yeah. seen before. If all these new shows can give us that, uh, I'd be absolutely down. So the idea that she, nah, you know, won't sure be showing up in any other show either... Again, it's not the it's it's not you know uh, it's not a deal breaker. So yeah, I I would say yeah. So I I I do think she was a very interesting character, and so in that sense, I am disappointed that we're not going to be seeing any more of her. But like as I said, I do enjoy seeing new characters, and if it means that we're going to get entirely new stories, new characters, it's not the end of the world. Um, about what you're saying with the New Republic, I believe that were room there were rumors that she was going to get her own show. Or that may that she may have been in Rangers of the New Republic. Um, that seems yeah very unlikely now because she's not coming. Lucasfilm's no longer yeah. hiring her. In which case, uh, if that was the direction those shows were going, I feel like they may either receive have to receive like quite serious rewrites or possibly yeah like I mean maybe cancel. I I mean I'm, I feel like depends how how integral she was to the plots of either Rangers of the New Republic or a different show of that sort. But yeah, yeah it's again, similar to you. I, she was a new ish character. So I feel like exploring her story more wouldn't have been the worst, but yeah, again, seeing new characters, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, as far as the shows themselves go, exactly, you're just right in terms of whether or not they'll have to, you know, rework story structures and stuff like that just because this character can't be involved anymore. I mean, we honestly don't know. All we all we know is that these shows are happening. We don't really know if, you know, scripts are being written for them yet. I mean, we haven't heard about anything uh, mm. or, or like a, you know, a showrunner yeah, being attached to like Deborah Chow for Kenobi. How they write them and stuff, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All we know is that they were happening. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure. If we're obviously yeah, we're not sure if um, her no longer being involved will cause you know rifts, whether it be uh, from a contextual universe sense or from you know a more technical uh, showmaking standpoint. But yeah, so we really can't be sure of that itself. But um, I think that's yeah. a good way of approaching the actual you know in universe connotations for a decision like this. So um, mm. I think it's a good time to get onto you know what you called the second sure. dot point of this conversation. Definitely. All right. So, so the way I would, I would frame it about this is mm-hmm. talking about this in an outside of, outside of the Star Wars universe, purely a filmmaking film industry, Lucasfilm, Disney fans context. It makes complete sense that they fight her. And for that yeah. is the one reason of this decision. I specifically think on Lucasfilm's end, Maybe in a individual level might be based on what's been Shin said or things like that. It's very clear this is a dollar decision. It's like a it's a profit based decision. She's had been in controversy for a good amount of time, and they've just kind of kept like secret about it. But yeah. it's like it reached a point where she made enough of a buzz with her most recent enough controversy with her most recent post, which we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. It like they probably would have made a decision of what is the cost of keeping her versus what is the cost of firing her like like backlash wise and keeping her was just too much of a of a problem for them i would say the the most similar thing that you could compare it to in terms of like i it's lucasfilm so it's technically not disney but it kind of is disney would be with the james gunn decision 
when there was like a bunch of people calling, well, yes. a, a group of people calling for James Gunn to be fired. And so Lucasfilm, uh, and Disney was like, at this point, let's just, let's just fire him for that. I, I would say that's the most similar thing in terms of what they were actually fired, what they were fired for. I know James Gunn was hired back. What they were fired for, dramatically different. Uh, James Gunn's was ages ago, still not very horrible things that were said, but he also disavowed them, no longer set, stood by them, unlike Gina Carano. And so I think there is a, a difference there, but I think that's the sim- most similar thing I could think of in which of it's case of something personal that, that one of the actors or filmmakers has said on their Twitter um, or also and fired the brick for. And it just makes sense to come because that's the thing. It's if, if 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 she was causing enough backlash online that it was going to affect people to boycott the show, especially because Gina Carano was pretty much... I mean, she's done... I think she did MMA beforehand. I don't know if she's done other things since MMA yeah, or whatnot. But pretty much wrestler. The Mandalorian is what she's known for. And so anytime Gina Carano controversy comes up in the news, it's always was always going to be Gina Carano's star or, or main character in Disney's The Mandalorian receives backlash for. And that's just being constantly attached with their name. I completely understand from a business standpoint why they would want to do it. Yeah. Um, you know what? You brought up James Gunn and it's a really, really interesting point, Michael, because as soon as I heard all this, uh, not only did I see it all on social media, but I thought of it myself before I even saw it is people were making comparisons to the James Gunn thing where he made, um, some, uh, lascivious comments regarding some of the, uh, you know, just, it, it happened a while ago, yeah. so I don't have a very vivid uh, recollection of it, but yeah, just he was not pleasant um, comments. Yeah. Exactly. Very unpleasant comments. Um, and yeah, he was let go from any uh, part in directing any future MCU storylines. But And you brought this up. The, uh, the difference between these two instances is that not only did he uh, come forth himself and independently and profusely apologize for them and say that he did not... Uh, he, he basically... Uh, uh, disconnected from those comments in any way. Like he said that that's, that's not me. I guess, again, mm. I'm paraphrasing and stuff like that. And through the will of the fan base yeah. and those who he has obviously formed a strong connection with, he was rehired because he has, um, he was given a chance to prove that he is better, I guess. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Definitely in, in that sense. Oh, there you go. In this case, uh, you know, Gina Carano has not done that. It's basically the same thing. Um, uh, yeah, Gina Carano hasn't done that and she has chosen to stand by what she said. And, you know, that's her opinion. We can't change that. Uh, but it also makes complete sense why the same thing isn't going to happen for that reason. And the last point you brought up is actually also, you know, really great because you're right. Other than professional wrestling and a very small part that she had in the first Deadpool movie, uh, the Mandalorian is the mm. thing that she has been known for for a while now, ever since the show started. If you were to see her face, you'd be like, oh, that's that girl from The Mandalorian, right? So as soon as she starts to make noise, right, you it makes complete sense that Lucasfilm would want to distance herself from her because as soon as people realize that she's not doing the right thing, people are going to immediately have uh, a possibly negative reaction to everything that she's involved in. That, of course, being The Mandalorian. Um, it's, it's like if, you know, yep. uh, a really big, uh, um, you know, I... I, I don't know if, if a star from like a really major film that was again, something that they are primarily known for above all things started to do this mm. thing. The person, the people who made that film would, I imagine have a very similar reaction. And I feel like it's, it's, I, I do feel yeah. like it's justified. It's justified on the part. I, of I agree. Film, I so. think it's an interesting parallel because if you look back to like kind of 
earlier times of like Hollywood or whatnot, when actors had controversies, and like I feel like it's not quite the same because I mean some of the time it is, but a lot of the controversies were more just like things they did which the public viewed as scandalous or something. A lot of the times, the film companies would be like, okay. Um, you want to keep low, stay out of the public eye so you can like wait for this controversy to wash over. Maybe that involves like rehab so they can like leave for a couple months or something like that. Basically, getting out of the public eye so the attention goes away from them and in then in that sense also away from the filmmakers or the or the product that they they're trying to sell whatever. But in this right. sense, I feel like especially in like a social media sense, Gina Carano doesn't really get away from the struggle, uh, the the controversy, because anytime she would do something, she would also fight against the people who were disagreeing with her. So no, yeah. no, this controversy never went away, pretty much since it's been going. And so I feel like, especially, that's a contributing factor as to why this whole reached the tipping point of 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 no longer working with them of Lucasfilm, because um, because she's just been constantly in the eye and. There has no, there hasn't been a time to cool off. I mean, I don't know if you knew this. This was probably a lot smaller, but there was some basic controversy around um, Rosario Dawson when she was kind of like mentioned to be in. Uh, yes, I'm aware of this. In in what's it called? No, uh, in, in the Mandalorian around the same time as Gina Carano, due to um, I yeah. think a lawsuit she was originally involved in. I don't believe she's anymore. Towards uh, a, yeah. uh, something in America, I can't remember specifics, but. In that, they just ne- like never brought it up. Rosario Dawson, I don't think, ever mentioned it, and it just went away. Whereas Gina Carano, it's just constantly been happening. And I, I personally think the the specifically last thing, which we'll get to, that she just recently did, which caused like which was the tipping point, probably would have been enough in the first place. But certainly prolonged constant like disagreement with fans and like mocking of of like people and just basically it being a con- like a consistent controversy for like the entire span of like a while probably didn't lead well to her case i feel like in in the sense of luke why lucasfilm decided to fire her yeah i mean when you bring up these other instances that you're able to compare this particular example to you're right james gunn rosario dawson things like that when that the the things that they uh the, the controversy surrounding those people um you're right there was a social media presence that caused it, but then it was completely absent for so long before it was brought up again. You know, that that's the case of basically James Gunn and Rosario Dawson, you're right. And But the thing is that you brought up with Gina Carano is that this has always been a thing. It's been constant, almost like, you know, you know, obviously we can only speculate here, so this isn't, isn't just fact, but it's almost as if she's, you know, uh, just uh, stroking the fire you know, and something like that. I mean, almost I believe she to, is. Uh, yeah. Do, she's almost I, trying I, to do it out of spite, frankly, is what it feels like. I think so. I think we'll we'll get to I think in our final discussion specifically addressing the specifics specifics of it. But yeah. it's clear that she doesn't she hasn't said things that she has then turned back and be like, okay, that might have been a mistake. It's like she has since since people have started to have problems with what she's been saying on social media, it has been her pushing further and further towards her wanting to make it clear that her her belief it's that's the thing. I don't I don't want to phrase this is as a discussion of she was fired for having bad beliefs. That's not what this was. Um, no, absolutely this wasn't, not. Yeah, this wasn't fired for having bad beliefs. Er, maybe some of the things she has done, which sparked some controversy, were her saying beliefs. Especially this last thing, though. No, this wasn't her pushing her, her saying online her beliefs and being fired for having those beliefs. This was her her posting something online, and it's having an effect, a negative effect on a group of people, a harmful effect, 
and thus context uh, actions being taken in in uh, consequence of that. I I mean we will get to that, but so I, exactly. I do believe this this is um, she is is even after being fired, she's like sticking down to it. It this is not a a single um, accidental offense or so whatever, um, and so that's definitely why I think Lucasfilm is in the sense it's like a it's a cost decision it's like a if we continue to hire her and she's continuing to double down if not get worse every time she posts it's just going to be more and more of more negative press for the mandalorian that they just don't want so yeah you can't afford to be just constantly associated with a person like this if they're going to keep saying stuff like this and you're right you're absolutely right michael we want to hit the nail on the head very clearly while we're having this discussion is that this uh topic you know why she was fired by lucasfilm and why we're having this discussion i think we should jump into it yeah isn't because uh you know oh she was fired for having a wrong opinion because you can't have a wrong opinion because it's your opinion but when Mm. your opinion directly is harmful to a group of people and and, when you use your opinion to justify or or to Creates um, a negative effect, like a harmful effect on a group of people. It that's when it doesn't become an opinion; it becomes a form of hate in some way. Exactly. You know, a very popular uh, phrase is "You're entitled to your own opinion. You're not entitled to your own facts." Because when your opinion, which is you know perfectly yours, no one can change it, uh, but when it directly demoralizes a group of people in a very detrimental way, it just can't afford to be um, a thing that is. Uh, a constant reminder, especially for a global and very powerful conglomerate like Lucasfilm and Disney. Yeah. Um, so I, and I think I, th- I think we should definitely we should probably like just in case. I mean, I, I feel like I, we probably should have talked about this from the beginning, just in case the listeners didn't know what the controversy was. Yeah, yeah, um, like what she actually did. Yeah. yeah. So it was a number of things. Um, uh, the main catalyst. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll say at the end, but like. Uh, it's yep. been a, it's a number of things. So originally it started off with there was some controversy around her putting um, a pronouns in her bios. So um, there was uh, a lot of people saying that they wanted her to put pronouns in their bios to, um, you know, it's it's great like visibility for trans people and things like that. And so yeah. she put uh, the pronouns beep boop bop, I think, which was like basically a lot of people assumed her to be mocking um, trans people, which, yeah, I mean, it, it she could justify that it wasn't, it kind of feel like it maybe if not immediately certainly after the fact how combative she was about it it kind of seemed like that was the case you um, can't look at those things yeah. and and just and just think anything else really it's, and yeah. the the first thing you think of is in especially in this case quite frankly is uh exactly what she was doing yeah. so um exactly. I, again also we yeah. can't, also since yeah. Um, she has had numerous uh, social media posts, both calling uh, for anti-mask uh, regulations, saying like, oh, if yep. we put masks on, what's going to be next? They're going to control us. Um, like, not inherently the worst. Like, you shouldn't be fired in the sense for, like, stating your opinions of a, of a problem. But, like, especially during a global pandemic, when you're a public figure, a voice of authority to a certain amount of people, pushing yeah. dangerous in a tangible sense of, like, why masks shouldn't be worn or whatnot, especially when she's uh, she's from America, where it's incredibly dangerous COVID-wise. There, not a great yes. look. As well as also pushing um, election fraud, conspiracy things regarding the presidential election and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those, it's just been a constant like posting controversial things, then fighting and arguing with the people who think that she shouldn't have done it. But the final um, straw that broke the camel's back was posted. Yes, um, this was like a couple was of weeks week. ago. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah this week that's it i can't re- I, I remember the specific was um she posted on her instagram or posted someone else's photo on her instagram of a photo of um the holocaust or a jewish woman running away um being chased yeah. um from the holocaust and basically comparing the treatment that she feels she has been targeted for stating her opinions quotation marks uh mm-hmm. is comparable to that of jewish people during the holocaust and it's yeah it's just wow. abhorrent. That's the word they used. It's yeah, it's awful. Let's just say it how it is. That is just awful. <laughs> the amount of arrogance you and just blatant mis like not understanding of the the sheer horror that went on during the Holocaust to claim that that people on Twitter calling you out for bad takes you have is comparable to that of being like rounded up. And 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 systematically killed in a genocide of that of the, of the Holocaust is just I yeah, honest, it's, I it's abhorrent. It when I, read um, it. I know it's, it's well, yeah, that's exactly what she's doing, Michael. Is that she's using the persecution, the persecution, sorry, <laughs> the persecution, sorry, of uh, mm-hmm. the Jews during the during Nazi Germany times in World War Two, um, and she's comparing it to the treatment of uh, what you would call conservatives in the United States, uh, or you know. Yeah. Uh, where all that stuff is is um is is really happening because that's been yeah. such a um a talking point in all of uh you know news and social media over the last you know year with yeah. the climate and in um the United States right now and to think that the things that have gone on on those social media platforms and the thing that she has the, the, basically the treatment that she feels she has been um dealt is anything near the comp- the comparison that she has just made you're right. The word is quite, it, it hits the nail on the head, abhorrent and just appalling, really. It's just, it's quite, yeah. it, it was, like I said, I, I, when I read it, I was like, my God, like that's, I was just, I, I didn't really know what to think. I was stunned, mm. really. I um, think even, even if you separate it, which um, from a political discussion of like, of conservatives versus other people or whatever, which um, yeah. I think, I think doesn't need to be done i think you could look at it through that sense but you don't even yeah, need to if you just look at it of a sense of of respecting people and like not <laughs> yeah not not going out of your way to like be hum- this has a harmful effect it's it in a form is a sense of, of holocaust denial in the sense of downplaying the severity of what took place by comparing it to something as insignificant as what she compared it to it's I mean, yeah. it's not. It's still. I. I mean, I look the there's the Twitter from Star Wars Explained. Our favorite, our favorite person says that they personally said, yeah. uh, "We we are relieved Gina is gone. It was long overdue. She was repeatedly and remorselessly hurtful to entire communities. If you call that doing nothing wrong, then I don't know what to tell you." And I have to agree. I think it's not that she had an opinion that was hated by the mainstream or she was cancelled for having her opinion. That's not what took yeah. place. She was remor- repeatedly and remorselessly hurtful to entire communities. I think it's yeah. that. It's the it's co- repeatedly hurting communities, but also remorseless, remorselessly doing it. You can make a mistake. You can do something that you think that you didn't realize was hurtful and apologize and grow from it. I personally believe that everyone can grow if majority of the cases people can grow from their decisions and learn and become better people but like sticking like doubling down on your on what you're saying and like and claiming that what you did wasn't wrong i mean i don't know what you expect from that yeah it's it's yeah no i mean yeah i i don't really know what else to say michael that's really well said uh 
it's it's absolutely right. We were just talking about it before we got into the very specific issues that have, that we just talked about. You know, it it's it's opinion it's an opinion of this person that cannot be changed, and it's not because she and this isn't all happening because she has a different opinion to somebody else. It's happening because those particular opinions have been directly uh, harmful to. You're right. Not just one, but several communities over a, a, a lengthy period of time at this point. And when it comes to the actual, it, it you know, it, it, the problem is inherent in the post that she made. As soon as the text that accompanies it is, it, it, you, you, when you start reading it, because the text that accompanies it and it when it goes into a little bit of detail about um, the comparison between the what's happening now and the Nazi regime is, uh, it starts with the three words, because history is altered, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So when you think about something like that, immediately you're just like, oh God, here we go. And it just gets worse yeah, and worse from there. So it's, um, it's trying to use tragedy to push uh, a narrative of, of victimhood that she wants. Like she wants to push the idea that she is persecuted and to do that uses the most obvious example and a and terrible example of persecution in history. And it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's just a terrible thing to do. <laughs> I mean, if, I, I absolutely do want to say it's not, I think, I, I think this is important and I definitely agree with the idea, but also it is clear to say definitely to an extent, I think as I'm saying on an individual level, there would be people at Lucasfilm who would have made this decision thinking, yes, I, I understand. And I agree with the idea that this is abhorrent, but it also is, definitely it's a it's a it's it's a cost reason they they also because of of everything that's happened here they would have worked out that this is just it's it would have been just too expensive to keep her on the mandalorian and so that would be the reason why they quote unquote fired her and so i understand that in the kind of a cynical take of why they would have done it but i 100 yeah. percent agree with the rationale behind it and the why people were pushing for her to be fired because there was a significant push and has been for quite a while and I believe yeah. that this, especially after after this, it 100% makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you call it a, a sort of a cynical viewpoint of, in the way to look at it, but it is a viewpoint that you need to take into account because not only is she, uh, you know, this character on a show, but you were talking about the fact that she is a public voice that is on a very popular show. So if they mm. say something, especially as something as awful as this and the presence that she's had for a long time now it's not going to just have an effect on that person. It's going to have an effect on that entire, everything that she's associated with. You know, when you watch behind the scenes, uh, uh, documentaries and um, just interviews with people like Daisy Ridley and John Boyega. You they, mm. they you hear them talk about how before they um, became the new faces of a of uh, of a um, a property like Star Wars, the biggest one of the biggest properties in the world, if not the biggest. Um, you will hear them talk about the fact that JJ actually pulled them aside uh, and had a good long chat with them about, um, listen, you are making a movie, you're going to be a character, but you are also going to become a public figure. And what you say matters because people will see it. And if, uh, which is why you need to be um, aware because you have a responsibility to other people and especially to yourself to behave in a sensible, in a, in a, in a sensible manner. Um, mm. Obviously, those sorts of people have held up their end of the bargain in that regard, and that's why they are considered um, uh, the people that they are and why they still get work. But when yeah. that thing is directly violated, in the, like, like what has happened in this case, um, the, the, the way that this whole situation is turned out for me is completely justified, and I completely understand why everything has happened. So It's the idea of, yeah, of being a public figure and 
putting out there a a take an opinion not no sorry a take not yes an opinion in the sense of putting out the opinion but the opinion's not the problem it's the harm that is caused from the public um a, a public uh display or or the release of of this harm of this of this of, i mean there were tweets the the tweets that could cause harm be the mask related be the conspiracy about election fraud or more specifically be them um comparisons to the holocaust it's it's the harm that is caused by them which is the problem i think and yes yeah. and when when you are a public figure you do need to understand the consequences that you you your public face has you know people like yeah. legitimately people nowadays can entirely form their views get their understanding of the world from people online if if like if you only followed like star you're a big fan of star wars of i love the character i doing i'm gonna check around on twitter you go on there and follow her and like like and re- like fanatically like believe everything she says on there she could take people in a dangerous direction um which is just not a not a good thing to do not 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 something you want to encourage as as like a as as no, a, you, I think right. as a moral person, exactly because we live in today's day and age where it is it, it's twenty twenty one and there's a global pandemic and everything is available online and on social media. It's it's you know complete and total privacy at this point is a thing of the past. You know it's mm-hmm. it, everything is online for everyone to see. And you're right, those sorts of things because it's such an integral part of of um just just life now for everyone all over the planet. Um, when something like this is said, you need to take into account how many people are going to see it and how many people can actually form their own viewpoint around it. Yep. And then it just, it just, it spreads. It spreads like the pandemic that we're living in. It spreads. Um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, and you know, it's not just the, uh, the, the, the big example that we've talked about a little bit, the most recent one that happened, you know, you bring up the anti-masks and stuff like that. And w- when a viewpoint like that, which has become so prevalent now that COVID has been a thing for a while, you know, it's all the more harmful when you take into account that that isn't an opinion that masks help. It's a fact, you know, it, it, it's a fact that that is what helps to keep this awful thing that's happening around the planet. Uh, it, it, that's what helps to keep it at bay. And when it's just flat out denied, um, by anyone, not just Gina Crino, by anyone on the internet, it's, just not a thing that you can afford to do because of how many people are going to end up seeing it. Yeah. But yeah, it has tangible so effects on the lives of real people. And that's, yes, yeah, it's just a dangerous, just dangerous message to push. Like it yeah. is. So I, I believe that. Um, I, th- I think, I feel like we've had a pretty overall nuanced discussion about this. Look, this, this is so just, our, if, if you feel strongly and want to have a discussion about it with us, I would, I'm actually very happy to, talk further about this if anyone is listening and would like to do so for sure but yeah yeah. um yeah whoever's whoever wants to do so if they want to but um but i i do believe there is a point of which i healthy debate is a good thing discussion is a good thing and like coming to conclusions based on um speaking and getting lots of different perspectives is a good thing but pushing harmful beliefs is dangerous especially in a in a global pandemic and and hurting hurting people with your beliefs is not appropriate so 
Yeah. Yeah. You're, uh, no, I, I completely echo that sentiment, Michael. If you want to have a discussion about this, we are always open to talk about it. Uh, if you want, please, please feel free. This is going to get, this is going to end up on YouTube. Take to the comments. We want to have a discussion about this. Um, because this is, me on Twitter if you want. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 you know, telling the odds Twitter, check us out and have a discussion about this if you want to, because we would be really interested in in talking about this. Because having a a, a proper debate about this sort of thing is becoming a uh, a thing that is becoming more and more prevalent as um, what we are living in today's day and age just continues and continues to to go forward. Um, but you're right, Michael. I think we have had a, a very mm-hmm. good discussion about this. I'm very happy that we could have had a, that we've had a discussion like this. Um, and yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy that we were able to tackle this sort of thing and present our viewpoints on it. And again, if you have a different one, not only is that completely justified and okay, but make us aware of it because we'd love to hear from you. Uh, yeah. And I think that we will put a button on that conversation as well and we will move on. So that is that discussion, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. Yeah. Now, uh, we'll, I, I think this a, will be a... Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> a less less controversial, less down down in tone one. Something we can celebrate about the Starless community. I think this should be fun. Exactly. Let's let's get into a very uh, a really happy occasion, and that happy occasion was John Williams spending eighty nine years on this earth because we love John Williams. I think that's something that everyone agrees with, Michael, and it's actually something that John Favreau said um, in the uh, score episode of the behind the scenes Mandalorian when they talked to Ludwig Göransson, the uh, the composer behind the Mandalorian. Uh, so many people have thousands of different opinions on Star Wars and none of them are wrong because they're opinions. Um, everyone's something is, is something's, is someone's favorite. You know, that's just the way that, um, uh, an opinion is, but it seems to me that something that has become a very, um, uh, just one-sided opinion and for very good reason is the music in Star Wars because the music in Star Wars is some of the best that's ever been composed for film and that is of course thank you a uh, thanks to John Williams uh, obviously mm-hmm. Michael Giacchino people uh, people people like Michael Giacchino and Ludwig Göransson have also done scores for um for uh, Rogue One and The Mandalorian, yep. and I feel really bad for the fact that I'm blanking on the composer for Solo, but they are all so well um, uh, versed in, 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 in score writing, uh, because um, I don't need to tell you about the amazing scores that Michael Giacchino has written for some of the um, Pixar movies. One of The up theme makes John me cry Powell. every okay. time I hear it. Um, and Ludwig Göransson has done scores for Black Panther and um, Black Mirror, I believe. They're, he's, they're all so well talented. Um, yep. But in this case, we're going to talk about uh, Johnny Boy because he has been around probably, not only for Star Wars, yes. but um, for so many different properties. Uh, he's like, probably the most famous composer of all time, has created yeah. too many most of the most iconic song like themes to pretty much exist. It would it would take too long to just like name off as many as you could. Like not even just ones he's done iconic um, themes he's done. So. I think yeah. as an appreciation for that, we want to we want to say our favorite Star Wars themes he's done because, yeah, yeah. he's done some incredible music. He's done just um, amazing, and you know you're absolutely right, Michael. He's done so many good pieces for other films as well. I mean, I just look, I, I just want to talk about for a sec is that you know Star Wars. He's done so much work for Star Wars, but my favorite theme, not just from John Williams, but in any movie ever, the theme in ET. Gives me give me goosebumps 
every time when the bike takes off and the da, 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 da theme plays. I can't even do it justice. Um, but yeah. it just oh it it just makes my blood boil with excitement. As does mm. the Indiana Jones theme and the yeah. Harry Potter theme and just everything. So the nice. Jaws theme. Two notes tells you that something uh, evil is coming. It's just it's so good. Uh, um, but you're right. Let's talk about Star Wars uh, because uh, this is a Star Wars podcast. So yes. Um, so basically, uh, Michael and I have taken time to uh, select our top five favorite John Williams pieces. Um, I think what we'll do, like we did for our top ten favorite Clone Wars episodes, we'll just go uh, five, five, four, four, three, mm. three, two, and then just pick a, uh, and then um, display our number one pick at the end. Uh, God, this was hard. I had so many. It, Look, it, hang on. Yeah. I'm gonna count. One, two, three, four. <laughs> I already did that. 17 scores that I immediately thought of that I had to narrow wow. down to five. Um, yes. I, yes, I, um, I think a lot less than you. I'm not as good at remembering the specifics, um, of the, which themes of which I, I, I do mm-hmm. love the music and whenever it appears both in the movies or in other contexts, it's like, I definitely a hundred percent appreciate it. There were a couple that came to mind immediately for me, but I think, um, as I was just kind of preparing for this, I was just like listening through ones that I enjoyed, but every so often I would find one that I'm just like, yes, this, this has a significant memory to me, or it has just such an emotional effect on me from like, whether it's original context or outside that I, I do cherish and love that. But I think yeah. yours, you probably have a better understanding of the overall gross of like his, his work in the Star Wars universe. But uh, I, I do think, no, I mean- um, yeah. It, it's and that's by no like no fault of your own, Michael. I mean, the music is what matters. The title of the piece isn't as well known because you know it's about the music. It's not about what it's yeah. called. Um, so even the most dedicated Star Wars fans probably might not know what their favorite piece of music is actually called. Um, so that's you know by no fault of your own, of course. I just mm. know it because I am uh, super nerdy about the pieces themselves. Dude, and never, <laughs> we don't because I the Star Wars nerds. I love it. Mainly it's because I listen to them so often on YouTube, so I've gotten mm. so used to actually typing their names in. Um, but yeah, that's beside the point. So uh, before we get a, before we get you know into it, yes. I'm just going to name off some honourable mentions, and obviously honorable Michael mentions. can do that as well. Uh, let's see. The Imperial March, Darth Vader's theme. Uh, uh, I, yeah. it, it's I'll, That's my honourable mention as well. Honor, uh, uh, ominous, menacing, everything you want from Darth Vader. Love also, across the a stars. Fun, a fun like reprise uh, in yep. uh, in uh, solo when they do it like upbeat, like dun 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 dun. Yes, that is so cool. When when I when I heard the imperial like the imperial march exists diegetically in the Star Wars universe. It's like used I just realized as... I didn't sing imperial march. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah, when I heard that, I'm just like, oh crap! So they actually use the imperial march as like promo music for the Empire, and that is it makes complete yep. sense. Um, let's see, uh, Love Across the Stars, Anakin and Padme's theme, beautiful, um, the, probably the best part of Attack the Clones for me, uh, let's see, um, Ray's theme, from Force Awakens, we first heard it, enchanting, gorgeous, that, that thing, it's, it's great, um, and one thing that I, one uh, other thing that I really wanted to mention that actually came the closest to making my top five is actually the Mm. spark. And the spark is the theme that plays when Luke is walking out to the AT-AT line in The Last Jedi. Oh. Uh, that is honestly one of the best themes I've ever heard from John Williams. And it goes... And it's just walking. The shot is beautiful. And it's just... Oh, it's great. That's Getting good. super nerdy I about I do have Star one Wars. honorable mention. I do have one. Yep. 
um, which is the uh, the victory theme at the end of Phantom Menace. It's it's good fun. It's like I it's, was listening to that two fun. days ago. You know, and and yeah. a, a, a big part of that uh, theme is actually just the Emperor's theme slowed down, which is genius mm. because it just shows how you know Palpatine has his um, just. He, he's already infiltrating. So, and it's, mm. it, so that, it that's a fun one. I thought I'd include that. Exactly. That's the best part I'm also about that. Very disappointed. That it... I'm also very disappointed because I wanted to include Jedi Rocks, the amazing standout music um, <laughs> from Return of the Jedi. However, I do not think it's uh, John Williams. So that was that was sad. Yeah. I could not include that. But uh, onto our 100% real picks, top five. Yes. Uh, so, uh, Michael, why don't you kick us off? Okay, so my number five pick is the Battle of Hoth theme. Mm. Yes, uh, I, I immediately know which so, one you're talking about. Uh, the Battle of Hoth. Yes. So it is. It's very. Um. It's it's it's, it's the scene that's going on, of course, with the Battle of Hoth. But it's very like. Um. Uh. What's the word? Like abrupt. It's like there's clashes. It's very like intense. It gives you the feeling of a battle so much, and it's kind of iconic to me because like the Battle of Hoth is such an iconic thing in like video games when you're playing like the Battle of Hoth, like recreating it, whether mm-hmm. it be Lego Star Wars, Star Wars Battlefront, like all these things. So it's a, such a familiar theme to me, but also just it gets the intensity and feel of like the desperation of this battle. And I don't know, I feel like it's, it's not my favorite, but it's definitely one of the ones that like I get the emotional experience so strongly what it's trying to tell. Yeah. Um, you know what? And you, you brought up the, the feeling of the music that you get the minute it starts. Intense, abrupt. Because you know what? That's exactly what the Battle of Hoth was for the Rebels. They weren't prepared. Mm. Um, and no. uh, just, take, just take into account, guys, that we're talking about music. So there's going to be a lot of um, uh, cringy humming on our part. <laughs> uh, maybe yes. just on my part. But yeah. Uh, but that part where it really strikes up the minute you first see the uh, the 8080s walking in, it goes... It's it's really ah, well so done. good. Um, yeah. yeah, it's that's it's my number really five. Good. And oh, aside from also just, cringy humming, where it's also going to be some cringy best attempts at trying to describe music and the feelings of it. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because describing music in like words can be difficult, but we're going to give it a try. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to my number five. My number five yeah. pick is Into the Death Star. Um, my pick is what it's basically the piece that plays as soon as the, uh, like two X wings and a single a wing and the Millennium Falcon, uh, race into the inner core of the death star, uh, in the final moments of return of the Jedi. Um, not Mm. only because this piece is a deliberate reworking of the TIE fighter escape, the, it plays several, several times in, um, in this piece, but the all the stuff that happens in between is look, the best part about music for me when I listen to it is if there is a certain musical cue or a moment in the track where I can mm-hmm. immediately remember what was going on in the scene when that little sound effect happened. Yeah. If, very, if that yeah, is strong. if that's happening, it's a very good piece for me. And when I listen to this piece, I can remember every single line that is said while it's going on. It's just like <laughs> see, uh, like spit up and head back to the surface, and see if you can get a few of those tie fighters to follow you. That's you know what Lando says. And when I hear yeah. where, uh, that what the sc- you know what the score is doing, I immediately think, oh, that's when Lando said that. And 
that mm. is what makes it an amazing Star Wars score for me. And there are just so many um, crescendos of that da -da 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 part in this theme. Again, cringy humming. I apologize. Yep. Uh, but it's what has to happen. <laughs> That's good. Uh, it's just so well done. And every time I hear it, I just want to just get onto Battlefront or Star Wars Squadrons and get into a ship while it's playing. I have done that, by the way. Uh, I've gone on to... Oh, yeah. gone on, uh, I've gone on to Battlefront, uh, gone on to the Death Star level uh, in an X-Wing. Yeah. It's not exactly accurate because when this piece was playing, they were yeah. inside. doesn't matter. But I've uh, listened to that though, piece when the, and it's just yeah, so When good. the music itself is enough to motivate you and get you just enthusiastic about Star Wars. Like, just hearing yeah. the music is good. So I do love that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that is my number five pick, Michael. Uh, what is your number four? Cool. All right. My number four. Maybe a bit controversial. Some people might have a higher. I have number four. I have the Force theme. So this is the iconic. Um, yes. The one with the staring at the. The thing. The one with staring at the two suns. It's the. Da, yes. Da, just the piece that we all da, know. Da, 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 da. It's very. I mean, one of the most iconic parts. Like original trilogy, just magical. Gets the emotions across so well of just the whimsical nature of this universe. And so in that sense, I, I can fully appreciate how how uh, I iconic so memorable the scene is, but also how integral to the feeling and emotional parts of A New Hope and the whole of Star Wars it is. So, It is so chilling, this music, and it mm. gets me every time. It will never not give me chills when it shows up. It's like, it's like when it showed up in the last um, seconds of the finale for The Mandalorian. It was basically the first yeah. John Williams theme that we'd ever heard in The Mandalorian, because most of it was very original. Um, yeah. The, up, up to that point, the only piece that we heard that had been composed before was Ahsoka's theme by Kevin Kiner, who was also incredibly talented. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, that was the only piece that we heard other than John, other than Ludwig Göransson's uh, amazing score. And then when Luke shows up and you hear the Force theme for the first time, mm. I, I just remember the the chills that just took that just took me over. And exactly. you're right. Yeah, it, definitely. It echoes. Yeah, the theme itself just echoes everything that A New Hope and Luke's journey is about. It starts out quiet and whimsical, and then as it goes on, it gets just more um, orchestral, and it, it's just... Again, describing music is hard. I but, think... Um, I think was, it the, was it the theme also used for Logan's trailer or something like that? I think. Might have been. For what, sorry? Maybe not. The first Force Awakens trailer? Uh, yes, absolutely it was. It, it's, it's one of the first I things think... we heard. Um I think the idea that this song just just sorry song theme this this theme this piece of music can just hear you can hear it give you chills whether it reminds you of something you've seen or just gives you the understanding that you are like and just and like excites you so much that you're in a Star Wars experience right now that whether it's Luke appearing whether it's like Star Wars going back Force Awakens any of these things where just the music itself is enough to like give you like that emotional reaction is like why it's one of the most powerful pieces of music John Williams has done. I think. Absolutely. It, it, it's gotten to the point where, I mean, this is something that's always been said when you, when people say that, uh, the, that the music in star Wars is a character in the movies, uh, the force theme will tell you why, because that, because nothing hits at home like the force theme does. Um, other than the other picks that I have on my list. <laughs> um, so yeah. there you go. Uh, so right, that's you your number four. Thank you for including the fourth theme. My number four pick is it's a very simple title, but very well put. Yoda's theme. Yoda's theme oh, first boy. heard in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, God, I love this piece of music. Um, this is the that we first hear it when Yoda lifts Luke's X-wing out of the out of the um, out of the water, 
it's just so good because like we were just talking about in the same way in the same way that the force theme echoes Luke's storyline um the force theme says a lot about Yoda because when you listen to it it starts very peaceful and almost strange in a way like this doesn't seem like normal Star Wars music because it's it's not a lot of notes that you're used to hearing but then when it Mm. starts to get bigger and bigger and it just ends in this awesome orchestral clash it's so well done because that is exactly what Yoda is. When we first saw Yoda, no one expected him to be this little green Muppet sitting on a log. And then about halfway Mm. and then like half an hour later, you realize, Oh crap, this is one of the most powerful people we've ever seen. And it Mm. showed up in so many different contexts. It's shown up in Yoda's theme in the last Jedi. It shows up many times in Yoda's last arc in Clone Wars, and it never, ever gets old. That moment where he lifts the X-Wing is just ingrained in my memory because of this theme when it goes, and again, uh, cringy humming, when it goes, that thing, it's so good. I think, I underestimate how much of an impact the music has in why the original trilogy is so good. Like, just hearing the emo- the me- the the music from these cru- crucial scenes, these key moments, just makes me want to go back and watch the movies because the original trilogy is so good and just enhanced by the music so much. Yeah, um, that's actually something that I I just I haven't actually mentioned this, and I don't even think I've told you. Is last week I was very lucky enough to go to a drive-in. I spent the night at a drive-in and. Yeah. The Empire Strikes Back was playing, so I had to go yes. see it. Um, the Empire Strikes Back was playing. I'd never seen Empire on the big screen before, and it was just an opportunity that I was never going to miss. Um, I didn't even realize that myself. I've seen Empire thousands of times, yet I've never seen it on the big screen. And when Yoda's and when Yoda lifts that X-wing, it it gives me it, it got me so emotional that I almost cried. I don't. I, I know. <laughs> It's just it got me it got me teary eyed because I, I just it that scene I remember thinking to myself as soon as the X wing lands and that theme ends I was just like, God I love Star Wars, <laughs> and uh, this theme is exactly why and it just brings mm. back so many things for me and that's why Yoda's theme is one of my favorites in all of Star Wars. Michael number three. Yes. Okay. So my number three has already been mentioned in honorable mentions. However, I think. I still mm-hmm. think we can have more discussion with it. It's actually Across the Stars. So, um, mm-hmm. this is the one from Attack of the Clones, would you say it was? Yes. It's yes. Anakin and uh, Padme's theme. Exactly. It, I think it's also in Revenge of the Sith, yes. Yes. It, it, it basically plays whenever they're together. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I do remember you saying the that one of your favorite parts has been Across the Stars plays and they, like, pan over and look towards, like, the city of Coruscant. But, like, it is such an, a powerful piece of music to what is... Considered to some be a disappointing romance or, or like appearance on screen, but the mu- yeah. music in some of the prequels has got to be some of the best parts of those films. Like outstanding, ten out of ten. A lot of people can agree on the music. It, it, even a lot of people might might say, mm, I don't like the prequels. Some might say, I think they're fine. But everyone agrees that music in the prequels, in if all of Star Wars, is amazing. And so I do, I do think Across the Stars, and I mean a lot of music in the prequels, but specifically Across the Stars, is like. Uh, very powerful music and like again gets gives you the emotions that maybe the performances weren't able to give you give you in some of the sentence yeah and it works as more than just a love theme it's just a great mm. theme by itself you're right the love across the stars theme is probably what saved anakin and padme's on-screen relationship from being completely <laughs> intangible because at least their theme yeah. was 
absolutely amazing. Um, you're right, Michael. Good. I absolutely love this scene. Is scene? It, uh, sorry, not scene. Uh, you know, piece. It is. It very easily, like I said, could have made my top five because it's so well constructed. Especially when you realize this is a little bit of like a behind the scenes thing. That love across the stars, the theme itself, was actually a reworked version of a piece that that John Williams originally wrote for the original trilogy that was actually going to serve as the love theme for Luke and Leia. Uh. <laughs> when he, when yes. he was not yet made, when he was not yet made aware of um yeah yeah them them being siblings when he originally yeah. thought that they were going to end up together he wrote like a torrent love theme for them uh, <laughs> until he realized that they were brother and sister and said you know what I'll just use it for your parents yeah uh, and so, look yeah. it it makes sense um I do get that I think that makes it a hundred percent better because yeah it as a piece uh-huh. of music it it's it is such like high quality and feeling and tone that it could easily just be slotted right into the original trilogy and not look out of place at all. Like, I mean, maybe not as much for like Han and and Leia's love, but if they did for some reason go down the direction of Luke and Leia, you know, maybe if they retconned that they were brother and sister, whatnot, a hundred percent, it would work perfectly as a music, as a piece of music in the, in that original film context, because it just fits so nicely in the Star Wars universe as this romantic, but also just like powerful music. So I, I think that's, pretty cool i didn't know that back though i I do like that yeah you're right um and you know that's that's actually thing that i should mention very quickly you mentioned you know whether or not han and leia had a love theme uh they do and it's also it's it's basically just leia's theme but it also works as like their theme together that um that one right uh, yeah, it's, exactly. that itself is another great piece of music that is worth um of an honorable mention uh but Definitely. yes love across the stars awesome uh a great great piece that i am probably i'm just probably just going to listen to all of these themes once the podcast today is done <laughs> but yeah there yeah. you go uh now my number three is uh it is it, it it's it's very uh ominous and menacing and just just everything that you want in this in, in a score like the time that it first showed up and that is battle of the heroes the theme that played for anakin and obi-wan's duel uh this mm. scene, this uh theme is just awesome that is the theme that i that is the word that i could use for it yep. because it is just so awesome to listen to and it echoes everything that you should be feeling in a moment like this because it is it, it, there's something about you listening to this theme that feels so um uh hauntingly beautiful I think that I'd say, you know, it, it's, it's beautiful because you know, it's, it's beautiful in all the, um, in, in very different ways, because not only is mm. it a beautiful piece of music, but it is also just, it, it gets you all the feels that you should be feeling when two people who, um, uh, you know, love each other have to kill each mm. other, <laughs> um, which is exactly <laughs> yeah. what happens with Obi-Wan and Anakin. Um, Even if Anakin doesn't that... want to admit it, he still loves Obi-Wan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah i just love i just love this music um and i've heard a couple of different interpretations of it i've heard it slowed down i've heard it sped up it works in every different way uh yeah i don't know what else i can say about this music other than i love it because it's just so good and again like my top five pick whenever i hear certain cues in this theme sure. i can immediately remember what part of like mustafar anakin and obi-wan were on mm. when that when that part um finishes and uh, another great part of this music, obviously, is not only the really orchestral parts, which shows, you know, the parts where Anakin and everyone were fighting, but also yeah. uh, it ends with um, basically what's um, dubbed as the immolation where Anakin is burning. Um, it's... 
Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's when Anakin is burning and Obi-Wan has his You Were the Chosen One moment and it gets so sad. It's a really sad part of the, st- uh, of the theme, but mm. I mean, sad doesn't mean it's any less good, you know, sad. No, if, it's, if, it's an emotional climax. I understand. Yeah. In, that's the whole point fact, of music. That's music probably is the best part. Guide the emotions of the, of throughout the film. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's probably the best part of the score is that your emotions change throughout your listening to it. You know, when, when it, the big part of it is playing, you're just, it, there's a, there's a mixture of excitement and fear and, and just, yeah, all, all those things. And when you get to this, the, the, um, later parts of it, it's just, uh, sad and remorseful in all the best ways, which is what that scene is and what you should be feeling in a moment like that. And that's why the battle of the heroes is just so beautifully composed. And, um, again, one of my favorite parts from any part of, 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 uh, of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so you want to do your number two? Yes. So my number two pick might actually be a little bit strange of a pick, but I have the Trade Federation theme, another prequel era. But I just, I, I mean, I'm the very Trade attached Federation to theme. theme. <laughs> I think, I think it's really fun. It's the bad guy theme for the droids in a sense, but it's just, it's just, it's a very, it's a very like impactful theme. It's there's like dun 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 yeah dun yeah sorry. I have a very emotional attachment to this because of Lego Star Wars. I'm I'm being I'm being honest. It was Lego Star Wars. It was in Lego Star Wars all the time. One of my favorite games of all time, and the first level, of course, Phantom Menace, doing this over and over again. The Droid Federation theme. I mean, I I just love Lego Star Wars, and that was like one of my favorite like levels early on, like doing this music. And so I'll admit, it's a bias. I mean, it like it's not the best piece of music, but it's one of the ones I have the most emotional attachment to. I mean, it's just a fun piece of music with like the bad guys and like whenever it happens when all the droids come out and all that. But I like I just have an emotional connection to it for that reason. Bit bit strange. I mean, I couldn't even sing it off the top of my head. Apparently, I did the Resistance one anyway. But you know, <laughs> you know, that's just uh, for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I can. Especially now, I knew what you were talking about, but after thinking about Lego Star Wars, I just like completely uh, just understand what you mean. The battle, the Trade Federation theme is great, um, and it it essentially works as the Imperial March of the prequels, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it's the theme for the bad guys. And uh, yeah, no, it's a great theme, really. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've got some strange takes. We'll see. I'm, I'm pretty basic on my number one, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so my number two, I have a feeling that this might be your number one. So you don't Whoa. have to comment about it too much if this no, if is you do, your number I'll one. About it now. Yeah, but my number two is Duel of the Fates. Uh, yeah. I'm basic. That's my number one. So we may as well do it all now. <laughs> yeah. It's not basic at all, Michael, because Duel of the Fates is not only one of the best pieces from Star Wars, it's one of the best pieces ever written. Uh, what can you say about this theme? It's absolutely amazing. Um, mm. It's Because this is one of the first times, at least at the time of 1999 when Star Wars came out, this is one of the first pieces that wasn't just instrumental. It was... Because yeah, this is a very orchestral piece of music. Um, yep. Like, the first thing you hear is the... It's the yeah, yeah, that part, and it's all the choir. There's so many layers to the song. I love. It's like there's the part with the choir at the back. There's the there's the violins going. There's the the 
bum, 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 bum. it's there's all the layers are building up and building the intensity this song this piece has got so much intensity to it which is just like dramatically emphasizing what's going on on screen i think i love the the fight scene with darth maul and qui-gon and, and everyone but Duel of the Fates makes up 90% of the intensity of that scene, I feel like. The reason that we're so invested is because this music is building up our investment. I watch Phantom Menace sometimes for this. I, I'll go watch the whole film. I'll I'll endure the whole <laughs> film just to get to the climactic point of Duel of the Fates. It's, it's just such a powerful and memorable piece of music. It was instant number one. I'm thinking, oh, love John, John Williams' music? Boom. Number one, Duel of the Fates. What's the rest? I love this music so much. Yeah, uh, you're right, Michael. There are like four different and separate notes in this in this uh, you know uh, score that work by themselves. It's you're right. The choir thing that happens at the very start. It's the smaller parts where nothing's really happening. Where it's that part, or when that piece gets louder for like really intense moments, or when there's a or there's that like thing that runs on for a while. I remember it happens while. Um, uh, Qui-Gon and Darth Maul are fighting in that like ray shield corridor where it goes dun 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 yeah um, again sorry for the cringy humming guys but yeah it's uh, it's just oh it's so well done um, mm. and uh, yeah the fact and that we're not just only enjoying is... just humming it is a, re- is a reason yeah. why it's just such a fun music you can see it's why it's one of our favourites uh, yeah. and the best part about Jewel of the Fates is that you can tell that a piece is really good when it's used so often because it's not mm. just here it's, it's not it does not it, like you know it takes place in Phantom Menace and Phantom Menace was its first appearance but it showed up so yep. many different times you hear the Jewel of the Fates very subtle notes when Darth Maul shows up in Solo um, yep. you hear it I believe in Retur- in uh, Revenge of the Sith while uh, Yoda and Palpatine are fighting and that is when it and yeah, I think that's it's right. like re- it's it's like reworked to make it sound even mm. more epic when you didn't even think that was possible um, yeah and it works so well only because of the fact that, and this is actually explained by Dave Filoni and George Lucas and a bunch of different people who are really inundated in the thematic working of the prequel trilogy, is the reason that it's a jewel of the fates is because this is a f- um, this is the jewel of um, you know two possible fates for Anakin because uh, you know it's Anakin uh, sorry it's Obi Wan and Qui Gon and it's basically implied that only one of them can survive the battle and that is going to have huge mm. implications for Anakin as a as a character because if Qui-Gon lives yes. then Anakin gets the uh, exactly. uh, yeah exactly he gets a father figure in Qui-Gon which ultimately is what he really needed but because Obi-Wan lives the uh, alternate fate in this case the jewel of the two fates is um he he ends up with uh, a brother and it's very. It becomes very clear that in the emotional uh, turmoil that Anakin goes through throughout the entirety of the you know the prequel era, is that he mm. needed someone like Qui Gon rather than someone like Obi Wan, and that's yep. why it is quite literally a jewel of the fates. And when you think about yep. it, when this music is not only epic musically but thematically as well, that is a pretty mm. impressive feat. And that's why jewel of the fates is awesome. Yes, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so that was your number two. It's my number one, so I 100% agree. What is your number one, Jack? Let's jump into it. My what is num- your, my your number- favorite one? Yep. My number one, probably not as well known, and it's act- and, and this, you know, in terms of like my favorite uh, themes, this probably goes for everyone. It, it changes from time to time, but I think this, this is, you know, pretty well set in stone that this is one of my favorite themes in Star Wars, and that is Anakin's Betrayal. Anakin's betrayal is the theme that plays uh, when Order sixty six happens, 
Um, and w- yep. I, I used this to bring up, um, uh, when I, when I was talking about Battle of the Heroes, I called it hauntingly beautiful. Uh, I think that, d- you know, uh, applies to this theme more than any other because it is so sad, but you love it so much because, because, you know, just, just cause, because it brings up all the emotions that you should be feeling in a time like this. Um, when Anakin's betrayal played in season seven of Clone Wars, when, Ahso- when the cl- clones first, like, you know, uh, start shooting at Ahsoka, I, I did start to cry. I honestly did because as soon as that theme started playing, it brought back everything that we felt the first time Order 66 happened. And it's just so well executed that, um, dun, 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 that part. It's, and then it ends in that really ominous and you know, heartbreaking way when it goes da 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 It's that part, right? Again, I'm so sorry for the cringy humming, but it's what's going to happen. That's good. I love it. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's just such an amazing theme, and it gets me every time I listen to it. It's so well executed. It's there. There are hints of you know, uh, um, uh, light and hope at the start, and then it's just completely drained out, and it's or and all it is replaced with is you know just ominous feelings of darkness which is exactly what you should be feeling at a time when this theme first played um it's just everything that i want in a star wars uh theme again i can remember exactly what was happening on screen when that particular part of the of the um of the theme played again that last little thing with the da 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 bang is the part where anakin is on mustafar and he sheds a tear for everything he realizes he has done but the realizing Mm. also that everything he needs to do is inevitable at this point and everything that anakin is feeling at that point is echoed in this theme john williams is an absolute god in every sense of the word and this theme is exactly why as well as every other thing that we've just talked about so there you go 100% 100% agree. Uh, I'm, as I was saying, I'm not, not as familiar with the specific theme, but I 100% get what you're saying about And I remember that scene and the music associated with it. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, there you go, guys. That is our top five favorite pieces yeah. of uh, of um, music from John Williams. Funny that, and, and you know what? I'm not surprised at all that my top three picks were all prequel music. Um, Same. Mine too. Yeah. I noticed that as well. It's yeah, very you know, Michael, we... That thing that you mentioned, you wanted to like, you wanted to make like yes. a note about all your pieces. What was that? It was that a majority of my top ones were prequel music, and I think the reason is because yeah. the music complements the original trilogy so well. It feels just a part of it. Like there are every, pretty much every single track is so iconic that you just like, okay, it's Star Wars. That's Star Wars music. It just feels like a part of it. Prequel music. With you going on with the prequels, sometimes you have to like pick the things you'd like. Sometimes you can't, you can just enjoy the prequels of as a as an entirety. But like sometimes there like you find issues with it you might not enjoy. So like you might take parts of the prequels and be like, well, even if everything going on, I like this part of the prequels. And the music is definitely a part of that. And so that's why I think music in the prequels does stand out so much because it it becomes some of the best moments of these films. Like, I love the original trilogy, and I think the music is such an integral part, but I don't exclusively watch the original trilogy for its music. I do love it. 
It's not, I don't exclusively watch it. I will legitimately watch, as I'm saying, I will legitimately watch Phantom Menace for Jewel of the Fates. I will watch the prequels for the music because it is such a major and crucial part of it and it's so iconic in those in those films. So I definitely think that that's maybe a reason why the prequel music is so agree. high. You know, there, there is so much great music in the uh, prequel trilogy. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Is that the themes in the original trilogy are amazing and they will live on forever. Um, but they are also very much products of their time. They are from the 70s and the 80s as the original trilogy is. So by the time the prequel trilogy rolled around, like literally the way that music was made and recorded had become better. You know, technology improved and stuff like that. And it actually meant that you could write better music and make it just sound better. And that's why I think around the time that the prequels rolled around, it, it, it just was elevated to an entirely new level that I didn't even Maybe. think John Williams was was um, was truly knowledgeable of before he even wrote these themes. So It's an interesting yeah. idea. I think the idea that music evolved over time. I think generally music evolves over time like stylistically, style-wise. I'm not too sure yeah. about whether whether they would whether his style of like compose, composition would have changed. But maybe. Um certainly I think his skill would have improved. Like the music he has done for the sequel trilogy, I think, is really good. Maybe it's not as high as some of my other picks, but I definitely don't think it's of any lesser quality than the other music that's been there. But I wonder why the mm. prequels itself is like in the middle. Of these two different trilogies has got some of the most um, memorable music. I feel like to me, maybe it is just individually the tracks are so good, but maybe it's extra factors and whatnot. But I guess I, 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 I just, feel like George, it just has an emotional like... connection to us. I feel like that's a bit the main reason. Yeah. You know, I feel like George and John Williams are so good, and this is why the music in the prequels is so good, is they are not only capable of, of uh, you know, making amazing, amazing music, but they are also so good at crafting why that music is important. And that's why the prequel music is just so great. Because like we were talking about with Battle of the Heroes and Duel of the Fates and Anakin's Betrayal, is that everything that those characters are going through is presented in themes. It's, it's so the the themes are amazing musically as well as thematically and that is just everything that you could ask for in a movie theme and that's why uh, Star Wars music will live on forever it's just the best like that Star Wars music is what made Star Wars a good movie George Lucas originally said that he was very um, unhappy with his original cut of the film but as soon as John Williams's music was added he just looked at his um, his baby, this being his, uh, you know, hopeful film in a completely new light once the music was added because Star Wars is just so uh, much less of what it is without the mastery of Sir John Williams. Um, and for that, we are eternally grateful and we will continue to listen to your music just forever. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Happy birthday, John. Happy uh, birthday. And... Uh, very a very happy returns. <laughs> Your legacy will be unending. You'll forever be remembered as one of the greatest. I mean, you're still alive. Sorry, I don't know why I'm talking about it. You're, like, I'm sure, I'm you sure you'll have many times in the future as well. And like, I, I really hope you'll last. This got really dark for some reason. No, he, he, no. We're honestly, birthday. I was thinking the same thing. We're we're making it seem like he's died. He he didn't. No. He's very much alive. His birthday. Um, we're celebrating his birthday. Anything. Um <laughs> Yes, but again, amazing music, a legacy of amazing music, and I don't know if he, I don't know if he's retired or not. If not, he may still be doing music. Otherwise, a, a talented musician and one of the, sorry, talented composer, one of the best, one of the best parts of Star Wars that has made it such a, a franchise and universe that we love so much. So that's cool. That is awesome, uh, and that 
uh, everyone, brings an end to Tell Me Odd's first episode for 2021. Yes. Uh, and I believe it's episode 29. I have so much enjoyed being back, Michael. It's great oh, to be back. It's been good. Um, I've missed it. I, I really enjoyed it last year. One of my favorite things about the less than great year of 2020. And so having it back this year and being able to do it for like the whole year, since we were doing it earlier in the year than we did it last year, meant I'm just so excited for it. It's going to be great. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff happening this year, guys, in 2021. We're getting the Bad Batch. We're getting the Book of Boba Fett. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff for us to talk about. Uh, there you go. Thank you guys again for watching. All of the time codes for our three separate discussions will be available in the description. And the YouTube version will be going on, um, going up in the middle of this week on our yep. Wednesday. I'm not Again, I'm not sure where you guys are listening from. Um, but uh, yeah, it will be available on YouTube. And I just want to go back to the uh, thing that we were talking about with our Gina Carano discussion. If you have your own viewpoint that that is more than welcome on this little platform of ours, please yep. share it because we'd love to hear it. Um, with with reason, like, that, guys, if you're attacking yes. people, obviously we will, you know, not be oh, yes, that. That's but true. like, that's, that, that's the extent. Um, I am personally, individually, happy to spend my own time talking to anyone who wants to discuss this further with me like on Twitter or anything else. But otherwise, yes, we, yes. we are happy to discuss this further. This is a, a podcast where we're able to discuss openly about all these things about the Star Wars universe that we love um, and, and, and things related to that. So definitely, I agree, if, if anyone wants to discuss yeah. that. Uh, offer your opinion. Be kind, be respectful. That's all we ask. Uh, yeah. Again, social media, we just mentioned it. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere you can find us, we'll be there. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, hopefully a lot of cool, fun stuff uh, to yes. talk about. Um, yes. So that's it, guys. Thank you again very much for listening and watching if you're on YouTube. Uh, this, for the first time in 2021, has been Telling, Telling the Odds.